Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Mia, and Steven, and our special guest, Michelle. And we're going to be talking about the 1936 film, Modern Times, directed by Charlie Chaplin. But before we go on, let's hear from everyone about one movie they've watched recently that they want to talk about here. Steven, let's start with you. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to see any other movie except for the one that we're, we're talking about today. Okay. It's been a busy week. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Alicia, what about you? Did you see something? Yes, I saw a movie called I Care A Lot. Um, it was on Netflix. I think it was a Netflix movie. Um, it starred Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage. And um, it was basically about the like guardianship, conservatorship system and how easy it is to like have that sort of take over your life. And this one woman that was a, con- a guardian um, was basically just like coming into people's lives and putting them in a hospital with the help of a doctor um, and just selling all their belongings and keeping the cash and saying she needed it to like pay for their care and stuff like that. So um, it was a really interesting movie. Um, yeah, it was it was a little bit crazy too. There was some crazy stuff in it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but overall, I, it was good. I enjoyed it. All right. Mia? I watched Prince of Egypt, um, like the Disney cartoon movie um, for Passover Easter time. And it was good. I'd never seen it before. Um, and I thought they did a really good job. I loved the plagues Bible story when I was little. <laughs> um, so it was cool. But I thought they did a really good job with the story. So, yeah. And Michelle? Well, <laughs> I watched City Lights last night because I was confused about which uh, movie we were supposed to watch. <laughs> and I uh, were traveling, um, visiting family this past week in that week plus. And I must have told Jack, yeah, we were watching City Lights. And so he queued that up for me last night and I watched it and I thought, <laughs> and I was thinking about things I was going to talk about <laughs> that film. And then literally uh, about a couple hours ago, I think when I was <laughs> checking my email to see if there were any more notes to go over, I was like, modern times. <laughs> and I like in front of my whole family, I'm like, I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> and so actually we watched modern times um, together and which I'll talk about in a bit. Great. <laughs> but City Lights was great. <laughs> well, I'm 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 curious to get your opinion on the two together since uh, you know, mm-hmm. they were his back-to-back movies a few years apart, but still. Um I I kind of wished I'd also watched City Lights for that sort of uh comparison. So, maybe your accident pays off for us. <laughs> yeah. Um I saw Air, the Ben Affleck directed and kind of starred in movie with Matt Damon and no one really playing Michael Jordan, even though it is the story of the Air Jordans. Um, It was enjoyable enough. It was like, you know, I didn't hate it or anything. Like, it was good to get out to the movies. Uh, I'm trying to go to a movie a week if I can, because there's like cheap movies on Tuesdays. Um, And basically, the my I've been thinking about it, and I think it's it, it it always felt like it could have just gone into a spoof of that type of movie at any second. So it was like, it was, if that makes sense, it like, it was hard for me to take it seriously. And the big dramatic speech from Matt Damon, when he like sells Michael Jordan on like signing with Nike, I just could not take seriously in the moment. I was just (laughs) like, it, it came off as so cheesy and like I said, it felt like it was going to move into being a spoof at any second, even though it never did. Um, I don't know. There was just something about it that just like felt false. But but uh, like there wasn't anything technically wrong with the movie or anything. It was enjoyable. It was worth seeing if you're interested at all. It's an interesting story. But, you know, it's, it's not the best movie ever made or anything either. Um, Sometimes I get that feeling when I see a movie with someone that's like really famous. Yeah. And I just can't like... I, I, it's not that they're doing a bad job acting or anything, but it's just right. like you're too famous and I can't separate you from yeah. that. I, th- I think part of it is that Damon's character, and maybe this is true to life of who the real guy was, but he's very kind of snarky throughout the movie. Um, you know, like he has like quick witticisms or, or whatever you want to say when somebody says something, he's like quick with a comeback. And so I think that it just like, 
it, it was a weird tone or something. I don't know. Or absence of tone that like, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, but whatever. So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where we discuss movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. And again, this time we're talking about modern times. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? And if not, what were you expecting, if anything? And Stephen, since you picked this one, can you start us off and also remind us uh, why you chose it? Um, yeah. Um, so I chose this movie because uh, it was a silent movie. It was on the list. And Charlie Chaplin is very famous. Um, and I think everybody's probably seen at least bits and pieces of this movie just over their, their lifetime, just because the famous scene of of him going through the cogs of the the the, the wheels or the engines of the the building. I don't know what it actually is, but it's <laughs> some like sort of machinery. Yeah. Machinery that you can see the person going through. So um, I think I just wanted to see what that was all about. And it's supposed to be one of his best movies. So I figured we should kind of take a look at it. All right. And uh, you said you hadn't seen it before though, right? I had not seen it before. So no, I, okay. yeah, I don't think I've seen, I feel like I haven't seen any Charlie Chaplin movies when I was looking at the list. So, um, and Michelle, how about you? I also had not seen it before, and I also had not seen any Charlie Chaplin. So uh, once again, really grateful for the re- the excuse to do so. And yeah, I um, was also familiar with uh, the image of him going through the gears, but and I think I was vaguely aware that it was like a social commentary of the times, but that's it. That's all I knew. <laughs> okay. And Mia. I also hadn't had not seen this before. Um, I have seen The Gold Rush. Um, I think we watched it during the pan like the earlier days of the pandemic, if I'm remembering correctly. And I really enjoyed it. Like I think it was the first real silent film that I saw. And, you know, just going into it, you're kind of like, oh, a silent film. Bleh. But I really loved it. I thought it was so funny. And, you know, turns out you don't need um dialogue for a movie i mean there is dialogue in a way but anyways like you don't need audio for a movie in that kind of way and so i was really looking forward to watching this movie and seeing more of his repertoire and alicia no i had never seen modern times before either um i had an acting teacher in high school that showed us some scenes from i think city lights and i was not sure whether (laughs) this was I just wasn't ever sure which was which or how similar they actually are because I've never seen either of them in full. But um, so, yeah, this was my first time seeing it. So I had seen this movie. It had been a really long time, though. I actually got into Charlie Chaplin in high school and watched a ton of his stuff, like basically anything they had at our local library, which they had a lot. um, I rented and watched. So um, I saw this. I saw City Lights. I saw... The Gold Rush. Uh, I saw a bunch of his movies um, all at that time. And I've seen some of them since in various uh, degrees, like seen parts or whatever. I But I don't think I'd really seen this one in full since, I don't know, for years, maybe decades. And But I, in my memory, it was one of my favorites of his. And um, I know it holds like a very, you know, special place in history. And we'll get all to all of that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'd seen it before. Love Charlie Chaplin. Wrote a paper on him in high school, even like a biography for a for a class. I think it was like an English class or something. Um, so at one point, I knew a whole lot about him and his movies. Um, and yeah, there you go. Uh, So that's where we stood on the film before watching for this episode, and we'll get more into the film in just a moment. But first, let's take a break. And we're back. So as we've done in recent episodes, I thought I'd start us off by reading from Sight & Sound's entry for the film on their website, As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't from me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. Nine years after the arrival of Film Sound, the silent cinema's biggest star remained reluctant to leap into the new world. 
while City Lights from 1931 was almost wholly silent, however, Charlie Chaplin's new film incorporated some sound effects and voices alongside the by then archaic use of intertitles in place of dialogue. Chaplin admitted he didn't know how to make the tramp work in sound, but his ambivalence about the new technology was appropriate to the theme of modern times, which distills anxiety about the dehumanizing effects of mechanized labor into inspired comedy. Sequences including the tramp unable to stop his assembly line bolt tightening to the alarm of passing women with temptingly placed buttons or being conveyed helplessly through the cogs of a giant machine found the director's comic genius undimmed. And here's a quote by critic David West, who voted for the film in Sight and Sound's 2022 polling. Chaplin's final screen outing of the Little Tramp persona sees him taking on the impact of industrialization on the working class. Modern Times marked Chaplin's first use of dialogue on screen, albeit in Chaplin's typically adventurous, unconventional way. When the audience finally hears the Tramp's voice, he's singing gibberish as the character improvises the lyrics to a song. While the tramp rotates between prison and employment and life seems a constant struggle, modern times remain stubbornly hopeful and hilarious. Again, that was all from Sight and Sound's website. Modern times marked at least the 60th appearance of Charlie Chaplin in a film as The Little Tramp, and depending on whether you think the barber character in The Great Dictator is also the tramp, modern times may be the last time Chaplin played the character. And while his previous film, 1931 City Lights, featured synchronized music and sound effects, Modern Times was the first time Chaplin employed synchronized dialogue, though obviously minimal. At first, Modern Times was conceived of as a potentially full-on talkie, but eventually Chaplin decided that his famous character worked better in the silent format, so the film mainly adheres to that style, other than the final moments of the film with the previously mentioned sung gibberish. Reviews at the time were positive, and the film was a financial success despite its anomalous nature nine years after the debut of The Jazz Singer, which is a testament to the long popularity of Chaplin and his character up to that point. The big winner at the Oscars that year was a musical called The Great Ziegfeld, and while Modern Times garnered no nominations at the Ninth Academy Awards, it did place fifth at the box office that year behind, from one to four, The Great Ziegfeld, San Francisco, The Plainsman, and After the Thin Man. Only one of those do I know anything about. In 1998, it was ranked number 81 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Movies list, and it rose a few spots to number 78 when they redid the list in 2007. It also ranked number 33 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Laughs list in 2000. As for our purposes, Modern Times has never been in the top 10 of Sight & Sound's polling of critics, but it was ranked number 6 in the very first polling of directors in 1992. In the 2022 polling, it was tied at number 78 in the critics polling and tied at number 72 by directors. And among the filmmakers who had it on their top 10 list in 2022 was documentarian Frederick Wiseman. So again, Stephen, since this was your pick, do you want to start us off with your thoughts on the film and whether it met your expectations? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have any expectations of this movie other than it being, you know, Charlie Chaplin. And, you know, of course, he has a reputation of being just an amazing filmmaker. So I didn't think it was going to be a bad movie at all. But I really did enjoy it a lot. And it was a lot more physical than I expected it to be. And also a little bit more heartfelt than I expected it to be as well. Um, just because it kind of read like there's a lot of laugh out loud moments that happened, but still there was like something that you could think about in your own life as <laughs> as being one of those things that also occurs. You just sort of like, you know, every day you're cranking out the donuts, whether or not you're working at a factory or you're in front of a computer. So um, I, what really stuck with me a lot was I think it was the machine that was used to feed people and and just how crazy that seemed to be a setup. But yet, you know, we're sitting at our computers and we're eating food that's like kind of made for you to eat and not even look at. And I remember it at some point there was some food that was made so it could fit in the glove, not the glove compartment, but in your little soda thing in your car. Like they made packaging that was like that. So you didn't even need to look at it and it was just packaged easily. So you couldn't even concentrate on your food because food is very secondary and they don't want you to really enjoy yourself when you're, you're eating, when you're at work or when you're just on your way to work or something like that. So I just thought that there was some, a lot of timely things even for today that you could look at. And even when your boss is spying on you, you know, you're like, oh, that's fine that they had a monitor in the bathroom, but yet, you know, everybody has smartphones, your boss is always pinging you, you know, for emails and stuff like that. So it's like, has things really changed? So a lot of what he was going through, just like 
modern times means that you're continuously like on the street of like you're employed or you're arrested or you get out of jail or something happens or you meet someone on the street, but things just keep progressing and you have to keep getting positive about it. So I did like the optimism of the movie a lot. Um, and the fact that, you know, you can kind of screw up something, but then get a second chance and then just start over again. So um, overall, yeah, I, I just like the message of the movie and I just like the way that it was kind of portrayed. Um, the only thing that kind of took me out was the, um, I don't know if she was considered a love interest. I guess she was because she sort of appeared at his wife in some of the dream sequences. But she seemed I wasn't sure how old she was because I know that the the officers were after her to put her, you know, to take her away. So I figured she was underage. But still, you know, and he seemed a lot older than her. So I I, some points I was just like not sure of their relationship. Um, So that kind of took me out of it a little bit. But. Um, not too much because she was such a phenomenal actress. So, um, but overall, yeah, I, I really enjoyed what I was seeing. All right, Alicia. Yeah, I also really enjoyed it. Um, have had a lot of the same feelings about it that Steven did as far as like feeling like a <laughs> cog in the machine at work and, uh, that kind of thing. I'm pretty good about setting boundaries and, um, you know, like I don't use my personal phone or my personal laptop for work and things like that. Like nobody's contacting me when I'm not on the clock. Sorry. <laughs> or, you know, it better be something really like important if you are doing that. But, you know, when you're in it, you know, you still feel like it. I had, um, when I first started this job, my boss was like, oh, you can take your lunch. She's like, but don't take a full hour. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I'm taking a full hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm here for nine hours. Like I get an hour for lunch. Sorry. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, besides all that, I just I also thought it was interesting that he brought in the police a lot. Like, I feel like the police were just like all over this movie. Like they were just at every location, wherever they were, the police showed up, even when they're like. I don't know if they were out in the suburbs or where they exactly were when they were sitting in front of that house. I was like, the police are even like walking down the sidewalk in the suburbs. Like, where did where did this guy come from? Um, but I, I did a little bit of reading about um, Chaplin's like politics and um, it, it was really interesting. He was like very progressive and he was considered by like our government to be like basically a communist. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that he he tied like the police to the wealthy and the powerful and he tied poverty to like constantly being like having to commit crimes in order to get by. I think that's still really something that we struggle with in our society a lot today. Oh, yeah. There's a very like lay Miz kind of aspect to the storytelling in a way. Yeah. Like yes, stealing yes. bread to just get by mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, yeah. And the woman that reports her thinks she's doing the right thing, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. what's really right in this situation? So, right. Anyway. Well, Michelle, uh, what about you? Well, yeah. I, I, currently kind of have city lights and modern times in my mind and when i watched city lights i felt it took me it actually took me a little while to get into it i felt kind of like the filmmaking was a little more traditional and staged and um and i was actually glad i was i had thought about asking my family to watch it with me and i was glad that i was watching it alone um late at night so the contrast with um, watching Modern Times just two hours ago um, in the living room with my family, I I watched it with uh, my cousins, three-year-old, six-year-old, and eight-year-old, and my daughter, who is 10. And they were all engaged, and the kids were laughing, and um, they were really responding to the slapstick and... You know, they were asking questions and and the six-year-old was reading the title cards, you know, and um, I think he really enjoyed that. And yeah, Alicia, when you brought up the police and just the constant <laughs> going to jail, like they were, they were really wondering about that and why would he want to go to jail? And so it was just, it was really, um, it was really, usually I like to watch movies alone or without interruption or, or discussion, but um I, I actually, I'm really glad that I watched it with the kids and, um, and just to see everybody enjoy it. And, um, and yeah, I, and the, uh, the beginning of modern times, like with that shot of the sheep and then it kind of dissolves into the people coming out of the subways. And I just felt like it had more of a point of view right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, 
and yeah, I, even though there's definitely some physical comedy in City Lights, um, I felt like right off the bat with the, um, yeah, with the tightening the bolts um, and his his spastic movements was was really funny and drew you in right away. Um, and like you, Stephen, I loved the optimism and even the final shot of them, you know, walking down the road, um, into the horizon. That was really sweet. Um, and, um, yeah. And, and, uh, I think Alicia or Stephen, one of you said that there's, uh, surprisingly some more emotion than just, you know, uh, comedy. So, um, yeah, that was my, those were my kind of initial takeaway. There you takeaways. go. Mia? I didn't love it. <laughs> I'm surprised. I yeah, know. Seems like it would be I up know. your alley. I know. I think it's just me. I'm I think I'm like getting sick or something. So I think I just like wasn't like there, you know. I love the message, obviously, like death to our overlords any day of the week. <laughs> um and <laughs> like I felt like all the like, you know, worker themes and stuff. Like I was like, did Jeff Bezos watch this? And was like, oh, I have an idea here, you know, like obviously all of that, like is so relevant um, today, whether you're, as Stephen said, sending emails or working in a factory or whatever. Um, I thought like the acting was good. Like the slapstick stuff was funny. It's actually um, funny to me, Michelle, that you said, oh, it was great watching this with kids because I was saying to Jeremiah, I think it's just me and like just where I am right now. But I would love to watch this with Rowan in a few years because I think she would think it was hilarious. And I think watching this with kids would be so fun. So again, maybe just me. Um, I thought that Paulette Goddard was so good. I loved her. Wait, Paulette, Pauline, Paulette, Paulette. Paulette. I think it's Goddard though. Goddard. Okay. Um, Paulette Goddard. I thought she was so good. Like the first shot of her on the screen, I was just like, oh my God, like she's so magnetic. She's so radiant. I thought she was just like so lively the age thing didn't bother me, although I was kind of like, wait, how old is she? Because I just – she looked older than 18 to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. don't the police have something to do? Like, why are they Why are they tracking her down? Who cares? I was more concerned about her two sisters that she just, like, let go and never <laughs> cared about again. Right. <laughs> that was more my issue there. But, you know, whatever, I guess. Um I also did really enjoy the last like few minutes there. It actually really reminded me of the Grapes of Wrath, which as we mm. know from earlier discussions, I love. And honestly, I was like, this is the we the people speech essentially right here, but like shorter and funnier. They're like, we just got to keep going. And then they like wander off into like essentially Grapes of Wrath, like California land. So I enjoyed that there. And I was like, huh, I wonder, like did what's his name? Fonda watch this and be like, oh, I, I'm i going to adapt that book. Anyways. um, So yeah, anyways, it was like all the parts were there for me, but I don't know. There was just something missing where I was just like, I kept kind of getting distracted. Like I just like couldn't like settle into it. Um, So I, I would totally give it another shot, like in a few years or something. It might've just been like where my head was at. Um, But yeah, it just... I went into it being like, oh, I'm so excited. I love the gold rush. Like, this is going to be really fun. And I just kind of had to, like, force myself to finish it. Right. Yeah. Um. So I remembered this being, at one time, my favorite Chaplin movie. And I watched, like I said, a lot of them. Um, but it had been a while since I'd watched a, most of them. Um. And I still really liked it, but it it did. There was like a little bit of a letdown for me, just because like I had such a big memory of the movie, and um, so s- certain things were like bigger in my head than they ended up being in front of my eyes when I was watching it. Uh, but it, like I said, I still liked it. I still think it's a really great movie. I'm very curious about it, how it compares to City Lights. I'm interested that that you said that City Lights was like maybe the it sounded like you were saying there it was the lesser of the two for you, Michelle. Um, maybe. You know, I I thought about that. I, I think ultimately, what one dis one difference between the two for me, just to 
you know, upon like within the last 24 hours of, of watching them. Um, I think like at the end of city lights, I felt like it felt more resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, there was something about city lights as it went on that, that I, that I liked more. And with, with modern times it hooked, I felt like it grabbed me, uh, earlier and then there what there were kind of lulls um toward as we you know went through right. uh, the hour and a half um but i did like the ending of uh of modern times um yeah they're they're both it's interesting too also the the tramp being the lead character in both and then just how i think i just feel like tonally and stylistically the the two movies were a little bit different yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's it's interesting when you see a lot of his movies how that character both stays the same and is used differently. Like he, it's almost like he's he's Charlie Chaplin is always playing the tramp playing a character in a movie. You know, it's it's like this r- weird remove, um, which is interesting. But but it's also a lot like I mean I think it's the basis, and I think there's a reason that kids like this. That, um, you know, I think a lot of cartoons like Warner Brothers and early Disney stuff are like so influenced by Chaplin and Buster Keaton and the style of the silent films that came right before them, you know, of of like, there, here's this character who's this kind of archetypal character, and now we're going to throw him in some situation. And it's kind of like a turn on who he usually is, but it's not exactly the same, but you still know it's Bugs Bunny or whatever. <laughs> and um, you you know what to expect, you know? Um, but yeah, I do think that there is a progression, if I remember correctly, it's, like I said, it's been a while, of like, I think in my memory, at least, in those later films like City Lights and, and Modern Times, the the pathos part of it takes up a little more space than maybe it did in like the gold rush or the circus or some of his other big movies um, that people know. Although, I mean, I think one of his more famous ones is the kid, which I don't remember a frame of anymore, but like, I think that one is very based on like it's him and a kid and, you know, it's like very sentimental in a way. And that one's kind of like a mid career one or something. So maybe, maybe my theory doesn't hold, but um Anyway, I think I feel like City Lights has become the one that people kind of point to more. And I'm not sure why I think that. Like, I, I just feel like I hear people talk about it or, or when I read critics or whoever talking about Chaplin, like they point to City Lights more these days as like the 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 one. Um, but I got to say, like, I actually end up thinking that The Great Dictator is my favorite favorite Chaplin movie, the one that's next and is sort of the tramp, but not really. Um, and only for half the movie, cause he plays two characters, one of them being basically Adolf Hitler. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other movie. That's mm-hmm. neither here nor there, but, um, let's get into some of the stuff we were, we were talking about though. Um, Steven, I think you mentioned the boss being on the screen and I, I guess like I've forgotten that it had that. And it's almost like a sci-fi element for this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, which which is interesting. Like, what did people think of that? Like, did it did it kind of not shock you necessarily, but were you surprised by it? Did it take you out of it, or were you just sort of like, oh yeah, it fits with what he's trying to do here? Like, what did people think of that? Yeah, that and that it was talking because since this movie yeah. is supposed to be kind of a silent thing, the fact that he was actually even saying something was was kind mm-hmm. of a shock to me. But it does play into that whole like Big Brother is watching you. You know, you need to work or else, you know, you can only take breaks at a certain time. I think it worked for the movie to have that in there, but it did seem like a little bit sci-fi kind of, yeah. you know, this is the future. Or maybe that's, maybe it was in his head. Like maybe this is something that he made up because he's been working so much and he did kind of have a, a nervous breakdown. So, you know, maybe that wasn't really there. Oh, I never thought about that. It's That's a yeah. fantasy element, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts from people about that? Mia? Oh, I was saying what annoyed me about it is that he clocks out to go to the bathroom, is in the bathroom, is gets told is for like 30 seconds, gets told 
go back to work immediately and he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, i gotta go back to work i'm just going to the bathroom and like runs back out i'm like you're not even you're you're clocked out like leave right. him alone man i was so so mad at that <laughs> i did notice that yeah yeah um I, I liked it i mean i thought it made sense and i thought it was funny and i do i i do think yeah it was a little jarring every time like the voice came through because even up to that point you're like it's so much is silent. Like any dialogue mm-hmm. he has 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 been silent up to that point. Like all the stuff that he's talking about when he's getting yelled at on the factory floor before that, before he even goes into the bathroom, that's all silent. So it was a little bit jarring, but I thought that worked for it because it is supposed to be like, oh, like get out of the freaking bathroom. <laughs> like I'm watching you and I'm all powerful and I have right, you know, sound and you don't. And I, I like, <laughs> yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, I thought it felt it made the film feel even more modern, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, I agree with what everyone else said. Um, um, I, yeah, I liked the site kind of. It didn't mind. It didn't bother me that it was kind of sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder how much of it. Like, this is just purely conjecture or whatever you want to call it. But you know, he'd resisted really employing sound other than like synchronized music. Um, in City Lights. And, you know, he thought about making this a, a talkie, but then didn't because he just didn't think it worked for the character. But I, I, there's something about it that I wonder if it's almost symbolic of like talkies, of like he's being dragged into this world. And so there's this boss trying to drag him into this world that he doesn't want to be a part of, really, like, but he needs to be. Um, so maybe that's a stretch. I don't know, but it, yeah. it lines up. Thought. I had Yo, a very you did? similar thought. Yeah, I was like, I think this is about his, I mean, besides his ambivalence about like the modernization, the, ma- the machine machination or the machinery like coming yeah. into society, production line coming into society and that type of thing. I also thought it was about a lot about his ambivalence toward sound too, because it's it created a huge upheaval in their industry. Like it put yeah. a lot of, it's just really fascinating technological innovation and there's so much you can do with it and i think that's why he wanted to play with it but um but yeah i i I thought the same thing i was like i think this is also about him (laughs) yeah i I also thought that you know maybe they put it in there so when people saw it they would be just as jarred as he was thinking like is this what we're in for now like is this what all movies are going to be like i don't like this right so it it kind of might have turned people off with being in the rhythm of watching those movies back then and then seeing something like this well that's the thing though this movie is nine years after sound so people were used to it like this was the the weird movie like Mm -hmm. this was like not quite as dramatic as like when the artist came out in 2011 or something but like people were used to sound you know, but it was still like a very different thing. So I do wonder how how much people were like, oh, yeah, we used to love this shit. Yeah. Like, why don't we just do this? We don't need this fucking talking bullshit. Yeah. So. I don't really know as much about film as you, but did, were all movies all of a sudden and like were, were there a lot of movies that still were silent, but then they kind of brought it in depending on. It, he was definitely an oddity. Like, I'm not saying he was the only one who was doing silent still. Like I I'm sure there was something else somewhere, you know, and, and it, and it depended on where in the world you were too. Like, I think Hollywood after the jazz singer came out was like, we need to do this. You know, like we all saw, you know, singing in the rain. Mm -hmm. Like that. I think that that was true to life in a way of like, they were just like, we have to jump on this. This is the future. And it was, and within a couple of years, I think in Hollywood, you know, they weren't doing that anymore. Like, I, but, but I'm sure like in other film industries, they probably didn't, they, uh, around the world, they probably were still doing silent films a little further into the thirties maybe. Um, but yeah, he was definitely like kind of on his own in a way, at least of being like such a big star who could do whatever the hell he wanted. And he chose to keep doing silent films. Michelle. Um, I read a little blurb that said he uh, said that he only gave talkies a few years, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, when he when he conceived of this character and and in a silent movie world, like it probably was totally inconceivable to think of the tramp speaking, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I don't I, I don't blame him. I kind of can understand that. 
why he wouldn't want right. to to change. So yeah, and I, I think he came out of like he came out of the British version of vaudeville and doing like a lot of pantomime mm-hmm. and stuff, and and he would do characters that you know they would talk on stage or whatever. But like he was very um, adept even before he got into movies. I mean, it's why he got into movies at, at being like a character who could communicate through just motion, you know, and, and emoting, emoting rather than talking, you know? So, um, imagine playing charades with him. He'd be so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like anything. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think that the character also has like, it has like appeal. It could appeals to every buddy, not just Americans appeal. It's, it's right. a character that has worldwide yeah. appeal because there's no specific language associated with yeah. it. It's just communication mm-hmm. through mu- yeah. through movement and Yeah, you visuals. could just switch out the title cards and it plays anywhere. Yeah, totally. Um, well, and, and uh, I think Stephen and other people, but I think Stephen, you brought it up first, the relationship um, between them. Yeah, it, it is weird, but I do think it is carefully portrayed as platonic, you know, um, I, I know, like it, it's, it, it's like it's weird. It, it is weird, but like you know, they're they're careful to show that he sleeps outside of the house in a little like shed on the side of the house or whatever. And it, yeah, it does seem like they're playing house in their dream world, mm-hmm. but but there's never like they never kiss each other or anything like that. I don't know why they made her. He made her a a juvenile. Which she clearly is, since the juvenile authorities are after her. When you like know he could have just about like his personal life. <laughs> I know, I know. It does it does hit a little too close to home with his actual personal life that he got trouble in trouble for. And by the way, you mentioned his politics earlier. I think didn't he end up getting deported or essentially kicked out of the country later they, in life? Oh really? Yeah, I think they revoked yeah. his visa. Um, That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I don't know his personal relation. I know that they were married. IRL. Yeah, she was po- of age. Paulette Goddard was like okay, of uh, you know, legal age, but at one but, point he was married to like an extremely young teenage girl and I think she was pregnant before mm. they got married. Yikes. And um then his last wife they got married when she was 18 and he was like I think he was like around 50 something and I mean, they stayed together. They had a bunch of kids, like whatever worked out. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's a huge, huge. Obviously, he has a, a thing for a little bit of age women. Yeah. Yeah. I thought with their relationship, I guess I just assumed that they were kind of this like, we're like friends, but like he kisses her wrist and they're playing house and this kind of stuff just because of like the times and that like, okay, they're not like married. So they needed to keep it a little like vague for like the censors and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure that's part of it too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's like that scene when he's getting out of jail for like the second or third time I lost count and she's like flattened (laughs) against the wall waiting for him. I was like, you don't wait like that for your friend. Like, oh my God. (laughs) And they like walk off holding hands. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. Um, in City Lights, there is a, a romance, um, and mm-hmm. so I guess again, just having seen them back to back, he his the tramp definitely acts differently with that mm. woman, mm. and so I think that when I watched Modern Times, I, I I kind of felt like it was more play acting as well. You know, he puts her to bed in the in the bed in the department store. You know, it was kind of more like maybe almost like a caretaker kind of role. Um, but I, I didn't really get any, uh, yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. It was just like, I was projecting my, my 2023 lens on this movie. So <laughs> I was just like, no. she just looks a little too old to like be, you know, since the juvenile authorities were after her, like she yeah. must be of age. Right. But maybe she's not, but yet she just seemed like she was. Yeah. I don't, I just don't know, understand why, why the, he wrote it this way. Like, why not just have her be of age and let it be more of a romance and take out the juvenile part? Like she could just be on the run for stealing bread still. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I don't, know. I don't know. I also don't know what, what a gammon is in the first place. Child of the waterfront. Is, 
yeah. It's like but a waif type thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Gummy, I guess. Yeah. But um, I was also yeah. like, get her some shoes. Like, oh my god! Get Thanks for saying that. Some shoes. <laughs> it's a don't get her a fur. Her, get her uh, some shoes. I know. She was like yeah. when she like gets her cafe job and like a week later has like a full like I was like, but does she have shoes? Like I was like gonna die if they like spanned her whole outfit and she was still barefoot. Right. Well, the police, Alicia, you brought that up. Um, yeah, they're definitely all over this movie. I do feel like, especially in a lot of movies from the time that you see. The police are like omnipresent for certain types of movies where where they're just always a threat, always looming. And um, and I mean, I guess like when you see documentaries about the time or read books about the time, like, you know, they were cracking down on workers and they were very involved in like kind of really over policing society in a way that like they still do that in, I think, for them, more subtle ways today across the board but you know more blatant and, and you know depending on who you are and what you look like but um i think at the time it was just like it was like this class thing going on of like the police were enforcing like uh what the rich people wanted more blatantly than they do now um in some ways there was that interesting part where he did um and maybe he was high on cocaine still but like he did end up helping the <laughs> the police yeah. in that in that the jailbreak for the other people so i was thinking about like well maybe he is like that sort of saying like there in certain circumstances i think that the government does do a good job because he did like right. being in jail after a while um he thought that it was like a comforting place and everybody was nice to him there so it was sort of like ambiguous with that sure but th they were nice to him after he saved them by accident, though, you know, so yeah. it's like under the right circumstances. But it's still like it. And but but it is demented that like he's th his comment on why the police are good for him is because he could get uh, three squares in a cot, you know, mm -hmm. three hots in a cot. That's what the saying is. Right. Um, rather than like be on the street and like not know what he's doing. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it was kind of a way to keep, like, a way to just for him to show that, like, they keep people subservient. They keep people dependent on having to have a job that, and I mean, it's still the case, like, if you don't have a job <laughs> or some kind of independent wealth, mm -hmm. like, you, you're going to be in, you're going to be, like, out on the fringe of society and you're going to be more prone to having to steal or whatever yeah. you have to do what you have to do to get by um yeah i just thought it was i was just was like oh my god every time i turn around the police are here again. yeah well I, I i do i do though think that the police are very present in a lot of silent films like they're always like there with a baton what ready to whack yeah someone on the head and something goofy happens you know the keystone uh, but yeah yeah, sure. They serve as the uh, ever-present foil. You know, it like there has to be somebody who catches the hero or or right. is an obstacle. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone, as you were watching it, did you think of any like references to modern day TV or movies? Uh, when there, I think later toward the end of the film, uh, the tramp like trips over an ottoman. Maybe it was in the department mm. store. And isn't that like in the opening of the Dick Van Dyke show? I think mm -hmm. he oh, trips over an ottoman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like roller skating through the department store. I thought of that that early 90s movie career opportunities and um, maybe <laughs> mannequin, you know, like hanging out in the department <laughs> store, you know, so yeah, some mannequin. more low lowbrow. Um, uh, and... I feel like well, there, there was a Lucy others. scene. That's about yes. I love yeah. Lucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that I definitely was thinking of the Lucy chocolate scene yeah. mm -hmm. um, at, at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. With the with the tightening the bolts on everything and getting behind and yeah, all that. The sets were amazing. I thought, and like when he did go through the gears, I was like, oh yes, that's it. That's the <laughs> you know infamous uh, image. That was yeah. great. Um, I was just going to say that I was surprised how well the comedy did hold up for me. I mean, I wasn't like screaming in laughter or anything like that, <laughs> right. but um, but I definitely like found it funny and like soon with the whole thing with the um, when he's like his job is to like screw in the or tighten the whatever he was doing on the assembly line with those two 
tightener. Th- I'm wrenches. not a tool person. So. They're called wrenches. Wrenches. Okay. Um, and he's like still, <laughs> if you say so, um, he's like still moving around doing the repetitive motion, even when he's not, that is actually really a true thing that really happens. And um, it reminded me, I used to work in a grocery store when I was like 19. I only worked there for like two months in the summer. And like in that short space of time, when I would start to go to sleep at night, my brain would automatically start beep, beep, yeah. beep. just like I would be just checking mm. people out in my, in my sleep. So it, like, right. that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, and then when he, as soon as the woman with the buttons you know, strategically placed. As soon as she started walking down the street, I was like, of course. But it's still, I still thought it was funny. Like, it still made me laugh. A lot of the stuff, the roller skating blindfolded thing really made me laugh. And yeah, um, yeah, I thought it held up comedically for me. I was, I was surprised. Yeah, the the work, like drilling something into you that you remember forever is definitely real. As as you know, Alicia, I still remember the Olive Garden song that we both, I think, remember from having <laughs> oh, worked yeah, there so at different times in our lives. And I worked there for one summer between high school and college, and I still could sing that goddamn song to you. <laughs> the- yeah. I worked at JCPenney yeah. for two summers in college, and I can still fold that perfect square with your shirts. Just because we learned that, yeah, I can fold everything like that just from learning how to do that's that. That's a very important skill. skill. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I wish I could do that. The parts of it, I mean, mostly like the assembly line stuff, it reminded me of Nomadland. I mean, for obvious reasons with like the Amazon scenes mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. when she's just in there and all of that. Um so not quite the same, like, oh, a scene from this that influenced later things, but it made me think about that movie. Yeah. I was I was surprised at the uh, at the cocaine. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. and I had to we had to just we had to explain that to the kids in the room. They're like, what is that? Oh. <laughs> I was like, it's just and then they were like, baby powder. And I was like, Yeah, the baby yeah. powder is making them act really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny, that's funny. That's i was funny. surprised that by, by that too i was really surprised that that got by the the code of the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i guess it worked out to the police's benefit in the end so maybe that's how right right right. right and, and it, i mean it was portrayed as a bad thing i guess so i don't know it's mm. it, it was funny it looked pretty cool. an illegal thing <laughs> true that's true <laughs> um well steven do you want to ask your question Sure. So if you notice, there wasn't a whole lot of, since it was supposed to be a silent film, um, sound in the movie, other than, you know, usually when you see silent films, there's the the soundtrack and you hear a band playing like the scenes over and over again. But this one, actually, there was some talky parts within like the boss talking in the monitors you saw or the tramp singing at the end, that song. Um, and then there's some real effects where you heard like some splashing in the water or when he was fighting with the, the, um, the escapees, you could hear them like getting hit on the head and the gunshots and everything like that. Do you think the use of sound improved the movie or distracted from it? And do you think what was done in the movie was done in an effective way or was it gimmicky? You start if you have something. (laughs) Well, I felt like it wasn't really that necessary to put in. I, I mean, I can understand just from today's standpoint, you kind of need sound effects or you need to have like like pointed people talking, but I don't think it really added too much to it. I, I mean, at the end of the movie, I thought it was kind of interesting that like I did watch the um, the scene where he was singing to everybody. I watched it with subtitled because I, I listened to it first and I was like, I don't understand it sounded like I could understand it because like I took Italian and French before. So I felt like maybe it was just like a French song that he had in Italian, but it was just a hodgepodge of like different languages or, you know, Mm -hmm. just different phrasings and stuff like that. So that kind of made sense for why he was putting that in the movie, just so you could just show like, you know, it's, it's about how you kind of deliver something. It's not necessarily of what you're saying. And that's the important thing. Um, So aside from that, I don't think it really added much to it. Um, I felt like we could have done without it. I, of course, wanted to have the soundtrack in there, but like I didn't think it really added much to it. So I, I kind of was on his side when he talked about, like, is this really necessary for me to be a successful movie maker? I don't think mm-hmm. it was. Michelle? Steven, what what did the subtitles say? Because I thought it was that just- too. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't even. Have yeah, I, it was just like a bunch of just different words. Some of them looked like they were in Spanish. Some of them oh, looked okay. like they were in French. And some of them were just like words. 
So at least the subtitle that I saw, I watched it on HBO Max. So like it just didn't none of it made really any sense, even though it sort of sounded like language that you'd heard or it sounded like a a foreign language song that you would have heard. So there wasn't an English translation to those. No, no, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. Because it was all just a hodgepodge of different like sounds and language. There wasn't really a translation. Mm What do you think, Michelle? Oh, um, I, I didn't mind the added sound. Um, as we talked about earlier with the boss on the screen, I, I kind of liked that element. There's mm-hmm. that one scene though. Our, um, did you catch where the minister and his wife come to visit the jail and, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. his stomach is gurgling, I guess. And so the joke is that he has maybe some gastro, uh, yeah. Um, both of them. Both, of, oh, both them. Yeah. of them were gurgling. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't yeah. tell. Yeah. And the dog yeah. was looking at both of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, so if there was no added sound, then clearly that scene wouldn't have worked. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess it did kind of take you out a little bit thinking, yeah, this is supposed to be a silent film. And then here he is. Here he is singing at the end. Um, um, I, I do think that it probably would have been... Um, as, as successful of a film without it too, but, mm-hmm. but it didn't, but I didn't hate it. So, yeah. Alicia. Um, I thought I, I don't, I, it may have been gimmicky, but like, I'm okay with that because it wasn't like, it wasn't too much in my opinion. And it, it is like a money-making endeavor. So fine, you know, <laughs> like, but I do think like we were saying earlier, I think it, that a lot of what he was doing with this was like also, him struggling with using sound so i i thought Mm -hmm. it made sense to to be in there and that's the if you're talking about machinery replacing people i don't know if sound replaced people but it definitely caused some people to not be able to work in that industry anymore because they didn't have the right voice or whatever or they just couldn't adapt to acting with sound um and i'm sure there was like behind the scenes stuff that, that it changed also that I'm not that up on. Um, so I thought it was, I thought it made sense and I was okay with it. I, I said, like I said before, I did find it jarring from time to time, but um, I thought it worked too. I thought the the scene with the, where they were having the gastrointestinal problems was really funny. So I liked that and yeah, I was okay with it. Um, I think it could have been successful without it, but I, I do think it, 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 I think it worked. It worked for me with it. Like I was glad that we got, I was glad that he got to have his little moment at the end with the gibberish song. And mm-hmm. I understood what he was trying to say about not having to use sound to communicate. But I mean, we live in a world where obviously that went by the wayside. So in the end, like he was, right. you know, he was not necessarily right about that. But, um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been, fine without it I think it would have been a different movie and in a way I think it's kind of cool to have this movie that's like half talky half silent um there's I'm guessing not that many like that um and in some ways I think it would be harder to make this movie rather than saying okay it's just going to be a silent film we know how to do that okay it's going to be a talky we know how to do that as opposed to being a little bit more selective about like when are we going to have sound? When are we mm-hmm. not going to? And I'm sure those were all very deliberate choices. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. I, as I remember from when I watched a whole bunch of Chaplin movies all together, I found it like kind of novel, but exciting when I got to this movie. And there were these moments of sound and it was used sparingly. And it seemed like if he was going to use it, he wanted to have a point to it or like a, at least a punchline that re- actually relied on it. It wasn't just used just to use it um, like the gurgling stomach stuff like that. Maybe that was something that he always had in his head and he was just like, I, you can't do this in title cards. You can't just have, you know, like gurgling title card between these and get <laughs> the same effect. So he's like, this, I can finally do this joke that's been in my head or that I could only do like at a live show when it, when I was in, again, whatever the English version of vaudeville is or something but yeah and then the gibberish singing at the end i thought that that was like i I remember just being very taken by that moment the first time i saw it because i'd watched so much of his filmography 
And so I think within the context of his filmography, it's exciting and not gimmicky. Um, to, to, I, I, and so I, f I feel like the experience I had was probably somewhat in line with what audiences of the day who are like super familiar with him and his work and had been watching him for years. And he's back after five years with a movie that has some sound. It must have been like sort of like exciting to see him do something with it. You know, and then he goes on after that to do full, fully sound movies. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it works. And I, I didn't find it gimmicky. Like I said, it was more exciting than gimmicky. Michelle? I don't know, you know, if this is relevant, but in the opening scene of City Lights, there are a couple of uh, dignitaries speaking at a podium and there's actually, I don't know if you remember, Jeremiah, but there's actually sound and they sound like, you know, the adults in the Peanuts uh, cartoons. It's like. <laughs> I totally don't and remember that. Okay. That to me uh, was really gimmicky. And I I was afraid that that would continue throughout the, the film, but it didn't. Right. And then there's a, another um, kind of joke scene later on in that film where he needed sound to make it work where he swallows accidentally swallows a whistle and so and he's like mm -hmm. hiccuping and it's like he oh keeps i do whistling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so he was having fun with sound in that film too right yeah i think i think the thing that i'm remembering is like you're hearing his voice for the first time in a movie at the end and i and like i do remember it being funny that it's like you finally hear this guy after he's been in 60 movies as his character and other movies as well, not playing this character. And the first time you hear him, he's just like saying just gibberish words. And it's just, um, I mean, they might be real words, but you know, the way he's using them is used as gibberish. And it's just funny that that's what he does. And he, he, and yeah, like, like people have been saying, he shows that it's really about just sort of, it's, it's not about what you're saying necessarily. It's about like the way you say it. Um, can be entertaining and comedic, um, which is all I think he cared about is like being funny and having maybe having a point too, but being funny first off. Yeah. He had a nice voice too. I was like, his voice is pretty nice. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is that his actual <laughs> voice? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah, really impressed. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. We should watch uh, The Great Dictator. I want to. Oh, yeah. can I say one other like kind of random thing? Apparently, Modern Times was banned by, oh my gosh, what's his name? Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda guy. Because he was like, okay, we can't have people seeing this in Germany, obviously. So it just made me think of our propaganda film discussion mm -hmm. from a few right, weeks right. ago. Um, everything's propaganda. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, those are our thoughts on modern times. We'll share our final thoughts on the movie and answer our bonus question after this break. And we're back. So what was your favorite scene or moment or element of the movie, whatever? Alicia, let's start with you. I liked a lot of stuff in this movie. I mean, obviously, like the big beer scene is like the famous one. But um, yeah, I liked the um, <laughs> I liked the food thing, too. Like, I thought that was really funny. The, the thing where they were going to eliminate the lunch hour. Right. Um, and they put him they strapped him into the machine and. I thought that was really funny. And I also, when when they brought it up, I was like, yeah, I could totally see people wanting to find ways to eliminate the lunch hour. But then I thought, yeah, you probably would have to pay for food and everything for everybody, for every person and pay for each machine and pay for upkeep. So his rejection of it in the end was, it made sense. But also it was like, he didn't reject it because the worker was like being abused in the machine. He rejected it because it was like, it's just not practical. Right. And Michelle? Um, I liked the physical comedy of the um, the conveyor belt um, scene. Uh, it just, yeah, it just was a marvel to watch uh, him and, and just how talented he was at the physical comedy. And I loved how it was okay. shot and just the pacing and everything. Right. Mia? 
I I thought it was very sweet when they were like playing house and everything was like falling apart all around them. That mm. cracked me up. Okay, Stephen. Um, I also did like the scene uh, with the food being like shoved in his mouth because at first it seemed like it was working, but then it sort of degenerated into not working and then really not working. And he was still kind of stuck in there. They just didn't really care about like, Oh, that's fine. And then when they put the nuts on there, I thought that was really funny. And I, I actually watched that a couple of times. It was funny, but I also liked the use. I think they did use sound effects with that. Cause you heard the little like sound or, you know, the splashing mm-hmm. and stuff like that with the soup. And it was just like really hilarious for me to watch that scene. And another scene I thought was interesting. And I wondered how they did that was when he uh, was looking for those wedges and he knocked the boat into the water that was still half done. And I was like, how did they do that? I don't know if that was a real boat because so it looked kind of like it wasn't. So I I was. Yeah, it looked like some sort of special. Right. Yeah. But that was pretty amazing. I don't know if it was like rear projection or something. Mm -hmm. And then they react. Or Pat painting. (laughs) I forgot about that one, but that really made me laugh too. As soon as the thing went out, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) That was one of my laugh out loud moments. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the singing at the end but i'm gonna say the moment where he accidentally leads the communist march (laughs) yes um which i guess is what is that the first time he goes to jail i don't remember now maybe not but i think so um it it, that that was just making me laugh for some reason (laughs) more than like i like all, all the physical comedy stuff but that one just i thought was kind of funny and clever and like i i guess it's kind of one of those things where you're watching a black and white movie and you just have to know that like a a flag on the back of a truck is going to be red to get someone's attention. So it's, you know, (laughs) it's just kind of funny, but anyway, that was, that was what I thought was funny. So has the movie, as far as your concern stood the test of time or another way of framing it, do you think it resonates today? And uh, Steven, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, I, I believe it does resonate today just because um, I think I said during the beginning, there was a lot of things in there that kind of apply to, you know, just working in the society. You're just going to go through things. You're going to change jobs. Maybe you'll get arrested and maybe you'll have to go to a mental institution. But still, you have to kind of power on and, and do your thing. Um, and just as far as the filmmaking goes, it was still really effective, um, even though it was a silent movie that, you know, you you could easily see it, you know, making a movie today and doing the same kind of things and it being, you know, still resonant with people. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it just does resonate. Mia? Yes, I definitely think it still resonates. Um, obviously, as we've all talked about, very applicable to the workers of the world today. And yeah, I mean, I think it stood the test of time. I haven't seen enough Chaplin personally to say like, oh, would I pick this as like, if only one of his films could go mm-hmm. onto a spaceship. Um, but like I said, I think my like just not quite feeling it is more my own like just where whatever's rather than any issue with his skill as a filmmaker. Um, so yes to the test of time and yes to resonation. Okay. Well, you know, we're not the unspooled podcast, so we're not putting any movies on spaceships for aliens or anything. Whatever, man. You know what I'm saying, though? (laughs) Like, okay, fine. If I had to pick one movie to be on the um, sight and sound poll list, would it be this one? I would need to see more Chaplin films to make that determination. Fair enough. Um, Michelle? Um, Yes, I think it still resonates today. Um, I think I could say that having watched it with a room full of uh, elementary school kids and they were totally engaged and, uh, and felt, felt the tramp's pain and, you know, and asked the right questions and, um, and laughed out loud at a lot of moments. So yeah, I was really surprised by that. And, um, and also, yeah, the, although the themes of, of feeling like, like the, uh, powerless cog in the wheel, unfortunately, still still remains today. So um, lots of people mm-hmm. could connect to this movie. Alicia? Yeah, I'm the same. I, I love that you watched it with kids, Michelle. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I'm so glad. they. I think it's a perfect movie for kids, really. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely stands up. Yeah, I think we've already talked. We've already talked about a lot of the reasons why, so I won't spend too much time but yes definitely resonates yeah 
I mean, uh, workplace, uh, you know, whatever. And uh, society may be kind of falling apart around the edges and people um, flirting with communism and labor unions as a result. Cocaine. It definitely resonates today. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your favorite character that has appeared in a franchise of movies or at least has appeared in two movies as that character? And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's, it could be the same character or the same, I'll start that again. It can be somebody, it's the character, but it doesn't have to be played by the same actor. So if it's James Bond, Mm. That's fine. Because he's okay. played by a lot of different people. Well, who is yours? Um, it would be Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. There you That's go. That's mine too. Michelle, how about you though? Uh, I would go with Ellen Ripley from the Alien series. Oh, nice. Yeah, she just kicks ass nice. and <laughs> and uh, yeah. Enough said. Okay. <laughs> Alicia? Um <laughs> I haven't ever. I don't. I haven't seen a lot of franchises. I haven't even seen the Alien movies. So, like, I really don't watch a lot of franchises. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter movies. Oh. I think she's a. She and I have some stuff in common. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I haven't seen those movies or read those books. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, we're both Ravenclaws. All of us, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Alicia, what about Fievel? I only saw I only saw the first one, so I couldn't uh, couldn't tell you if the second one is good or not. He goes west, so so I hear. Spoiler alert! Yes, spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler alert from the title. Yeah, Um, I'm going with Michael Corleone. All right. Well, um, our next episode is Alicia's sixth pick. Alicia, do you want to tell us about that? Yes, it is Wild Strawberries, directed by Ingmar Bergman, uh, released in 1957. And it's available to watch with a subscription on the Criterion channel or to rent via Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode of Story Actor Movie Club. You can subscribe to the show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. We invite you to join our conversations about movies by joining our Facebook group. And you can find a link to that along with our email address, links to a lot of the places where you can find the show and other info by going to stereoactivemedia.com slash stereoactivemovieclub. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. It helps others to find the show, and we really appreciate it. Also, you can get updates about this show and plenty of other stuff by following Stereoactive Media on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.